My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Linda Trevino is an ethics professor at Pennsylvania State University, where she researches ethical and unethical conduct at work. Linda has published more than 90 academic articles in premier business and ethics journals, and her research has also impacted how ethics is managed and taught in organizations. Linda's textbook, Managing Business Ethics, is in its eighth edition, and I can say from personal experience that it's excellent. Linda has taught business ethics to undergrads, MBAs, PhDs, and executives, and consulted with countless for-profit and non-profit organizations. She has also served as associate editor or board member of numerous academic journals, ethics ombudsperson for the Academy of Management, and on the advisory board to the Center for Ethics and Financial Services of the American College. Ethisphere named Linda one of the 100 most influential business people in business ethics, and her research has been ranked in the top 1% by citations of multiple highly cited papers. In summary, Linda is a legend in her field. I hope you enjoy learning from Linda Trevino today, because I always do. Hi, Linda. It's great to talk with you today for lots of reasons. Uh, one of those reasons is that I'm teaching business ethics this semester to undergrads at the University of Kansas, and we're using your textbook in our class. So thanks for coming on today. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm delighted. Well, Linda, you've had a wonderful career. And as you think back on your research, are there two to three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons you've learned that you'd most like to pass along to others? So I don't know if they're underappreciated, but um, they all, uh, I think, revolve around a theme, which is really important for me, and that is the idea of learning continuously. Um, my mother used to joke that, you know, I got a PhD and became a professor so I could stay in school. <laughs> and I think, you know, she was on to something. So, um, so the first one I am calling choosing your pond carefully. So we talk about, you know, people who are big fish in small ponds. Um, and I guess throughout my career, I've had the opportunity to do that, to move um, and become a so-called big fish in a small pond. And that is just not me. I think it may fit other people, um, but it's just not me. And so what I always wanted was to just be one of the fish in a really great pond with other great fish um, from whom I could learn and who would challenge me and, um, you know, make me think and make me better. And so I think there's actually some research on this that, you know, the environment that you find yourself in, uh, the people who are around you, the kind of work that they're doing has a huge impact on your career. And I really um, give a lot of credit for the successes I've had to the department that I find myself in 
it's just very uh, challenging. You see people around you who are editors and associate editors and publishing in the top journals, and it just makes you want to work harder and um, strive to do that too. And we all know what a pain that can be sometimes <laughs> to uh, try to achieve in that space. And so you really need motivation and having people around you who are doing it, I think is uh, a great way to, to motivate yourself and, and keep pushing and keep learning. So, so that's, that's probably my number. That's my biggest, my number one. Well, your mom was right on as it relates to me because I did my undergrad in business and worked for a few years and then went to law school. And it was in law school that I realized I want to stay in school the rest of my life. I just want to keep going to school. And, and so that's why I decided to get the PhD and become a professor. And as a student, you know, you, you see the teachers teach and you don't realize how much of their job is spent researching, trying to just learn new things. And uh, I really like your lesson of, you know, choosing the pond carefully. And in the ethics class that I teach, we spend a week on having the students try to clarify their values and, you know, figure out what they want to do with their lives. And so often many of them will say things like, um, you know, I want to start a business and make a bunch of money and retire, you know, in 10 years or something like that. I like this framing of, you know, rather than just setting your goal to be the the big fish in some pond somewhere, I think it's important to, you know, I think a, a better framework is what pond do I want to swim in? Who do I want to surround myself with? There's that saying, you know, you're, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yes. And I think there is a lot of truth that I, I really like this framework of what pond do I want to be in? What pond do I want to be in? Who do I want to surround myself with? Yeah. Yeah. I really like it too. And I've lived it. Right. So um, I know that at least for me, it's worked really well. And I will say, you know, we've been talking about, you know, the conventional level of moral development. And as we know, you know, most people look around to, you know, their peers to determine what is and isn't ethical. So the pond we choose, you know, has massive has massive implications for how we're going to behave throughout our life. Yeah, I think there's a theory in sociology, differential association theory, which has sort of that same message about you are the people that you interact with. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So um, the second thing is, um, and again, this is, this is very much about me and who I am, but I decided early on that I would think about my research as a stream rather than a program. So the way I think about a program is, you know, what Ed Locke did with goal setting, right? And I, I have a lot of admiration for that. Um, somebody who just really, you know, focuses in on something um, for the entire career. But to me, um, it just wouldn't be the, the right thing because... I want to be open to being diverted a little bit, at least. And 
a lot of that for me has happened by working with doctoral students, which is one of the things I enjoy the most about my job. And, you know, they obviously need to be interested in things related to the things I'm interested in, but I don't, I've never wanted to have a student do my project, right? I want us to get our heads together and say, what is it that, you know, where's the coming together here um, of the doctoral student and me? And where does that take us? And sometimes it takes us um, in a direction that's, um, it's just a little divergent, right? So I had a student early on who was more macro than I was. I think of myself as more OB, um, but he was more macro, but interested in ethics and organizations. And so we did, um, you know, a project that ended up being his dissertation that was more macro and it was fine. It was great. Um, and it, I learned a lot. So I mean, by doing this, you have to be open to learn to new theories, new methods, um, just not always dealing in your comfort zone. And again, that's just a way of expanding and learning. And um, that's my preference. I, I rather, um, you know, make myself learn something new. Um, I do quantitative methods, I do qualitative methods. Um, and maybe that means that I'm not the best at any one method, right? Because I don't, I don't zero in on that and just get better and better at it. Um, you know, I've always said I'll use the method that fits the question I want to answer. And, and that seems trite sometimes, but it's actually the truth. And I don't know that there are that many people who do that because they don't feel comfortable, you know, in one methodology or another. So, so for me, it's a stream and, and, you know, I'm willing to diverge a bit off my path. Um, if I find it interesting and intriguing and something I want to know about. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I had Bruce Berry on the show and, and one of, Bruce's main lessons that he wanted to pass on was this idea of reinventing yourself and being open to it because he felt like he had reinvented himself a number of times and it was yeah. more interesting. And Maggie Neal had said something similar about she had a doctoral student that wanted to do teams. And Maggie was like, you know, I, I don't really do teams, but okay, if you want to do teams, I'll help you do teams. And by being open to these new opportunities, and I, and I love your framework of viewing this as an opportunity to learn something new you know, they say variety right. is the spice of life and uh, what a great way to be exposed to new ideas as long as we're open to learning new ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say, you know, I'm easily bored. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if we do something new, then, hey, you know, I'm intrigued. Um, and I did a Teams project uh, a few years back and because of the pond I swim in, I had somebody in my department who's a teams expert who, you know, we were able to recruit to join the project. And boy, did we learn a lot. 
you know, from him and, and also felt, you know, on solid ground doing that project because we, we knew that we were not going to do something stupid, you know, because Stephen was there. So, um, yeah. So that's another way that you learn is by bringing somebody in, you know, who has a different expertise than you do. And it's also, I think, how some of the best research gets done, right? You bring people together who are experts in different things. You know, that just reminds me of when I was in law school, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who was doing, I think he was doing a PhD in in business at the time, possibly an MBA. Uh, but he said something about how he started, how he wanted to start a company, uh, but he just you know, didn't have like the legal background to be able to do it. And he was, you know, a little bit concerned and it's like, you know, and I'm thinking like, Oh, I would, I would love to start a company, but I don't really have the business experience. And, you know, then you have this moment where it's like, Oh yeah, that's how, that's why businesses form. One of the main reasons is to, you know, add complementary skills. You don't have to have all of the skills. Um, no, you just have to be open and not defensive about some, right. You have to pick other people's brains. Um, and I think that's what makes for a good manager too, is to say, okay, I'm going to surround myself with the best people. And then, you know, that's why you're here is, is because of what you know, and you need to inform me because I don't know all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Requires some humility to acknowledge it, which is the point. Yes. That is the point to bring in people who can do things that we can't do as well. So, and then the third thing that is also um, an opportunity for learning is that I have always found a way to stay in touch with practitioners in um, the field of business ethics. The very, very beginning, um, when the field was really, you know, in terms of ethics officers and, you know, these sorts of people and organizations, it was just starting and the conference board used to have these meetings in New York once a year in May. And I just would take myself there um, and sit in on uh, sessions and listen to what they were talking about. And I, I learned so much about this is what practitioners care about. This is what's keeping them up at night. This is what they um, are concerned with. And um, I, I've continued to do that all the way through, and it has um, inspired important research that maybe I wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, and my favorite story about that is uh, the ethical leadership research, which started um, there were sort of two things that came together. One was I I was at a practitioner conference, and in this particular conference, they would have a gathering at the end where people talked about um, issues that they were concerned about and that they needed more information about. And it, at that time, the issue was leadership. They were having all sorts of problems with leadership and you know there was no ethical leadership literature there was nothing um 
And I had always said from the time I was a doctoral student, I was not going near leadership. It was too complicated. Um, people already thought they had it figured out. <laughs> and, you know, that was going to be off limits. Well, I had a doctoral student, Michael Brown, who was very interested in leadership. And so I knew that. And I and he was interested in leadership and values. And I had so I had him back at the office. And then I had these practitioners telling me, you know, we really need to understand leadership better. So I went back to State College and I said, well, Michael, you know, if this is what you really want to do, I think I think we could do it. And through the practitioners, I was able to get access to executives to interview, and the rest is history. Um, so sometimes you just get great ideas for very um, practical research that's going to make a difference, I, I hope. Um, I think we all hope our research makes a difference. I think there are a few people maybe who don't care about that, but I do. And um, I've always thought, you know, what's the point otherwise? And so, um, so yeah, keeping in touch with practitioners, is just yet another way to learn. I, th I think that's really interesting because especially in this field, you know, we, it's said about us that, you know, sometimes we're just writing papers for other professors in our field and, and we're not writing for a larger audience. And right. that's interesting that you said this because uh, when I talk about your textbook at the beginning of class, uh, the beginning of the semester, I tell the students that uh, I really like the textbook because it takes a practical approach. You you can imagine there have been a number of ethics seminars taught where people just frankly fall asleep and aren't interested because it can be, you know, very philosophical. And if that's not, you know, your cup of tea, then maybe it's just not that interesting to you. But I've just, I'm impressed with your approach. And, you know, I tell that to the students, like, look, this is, you're going to see this in the real world. When you go out and you get a job, all of the stuff we're talking about here is relevant and will apply. And we had a guest speaker from TIA come to class a couple of weeks ago, and she was just talking about all of the different things that she implements at TIA, which are right from your textbook. And uh, I think uh, that was one of the reasons why I was drawn to having you on this podcast today is because your research is practical and you're focused on uh, doing things that will make a difference for, well, now leaders in, in organizations. Yeah, it's interesting that you had someone from TIA. Um, my co-author, so this is yet, Another way to learn, my co-author came from the practice world, mm -hmm. and she's now um, teaching at Temple, has been for years, but um, we first met when she was working for um, what was Citibank at the time, way back, and um, in human resources communications, and um, there was a little story on the front page of the Wall Street Journal about a, an ethics game that Citibank had created to teach ethics to their employees. And that was really early on. And I saw that and I um, picked up the phone in my office and I just called 
Citibank and I asked for her because it had her name um, as a person in, who had, you know, was responsible for it. And we just hit it off and we had this great conversation. And, you know, she said, well, next time you're in New York, let me know, we can go have lunch. And um, so we did. And then I started inviting her uh, up here to um, run the game with the MBA students, which really was great. And <clears throat> um, before you knew it, on one of those trips, we were sitting in my living room and um, drafting what we thought was going to be an article. And by the time we were done, we said, oh, I think we have an outline for a book. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because I was, a, you know, I, I was an academic and she was a practitioner, but we had kind of similar writing styles, very, um, I don't know how to describe it, but, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, it was really hard work to put, put the two together. And um, she, she's just really great at creating these dilemmas um, that you find in the book. Those are all hers. And um, I don't know, we're, we have complementary skills. Here we go once again. And um yeah i just talked to her not too long ago about you know when they're always pushing us to do the next edition which is an ethical a concern in itself and i always ask them if they've read the book <laughs> <laughs> i always say we're going to do it when it's time content wise um of course they want you to do it every couple of years right so Anyway, she and I were having that conversation about, you know, when we we're going to do the next edition, but it didn't actually, we started out thinking it would be a trade book and it, there's a kind of long story to this, but there's a guy with a long Penn State pedigree who was an editor at uh, John Wiley and he happened to be in our building, um, big Penn State fan. And he came by my office and asked if I was thinking about writing, you know, a book. They were always interested in textbook writers. And I said, well, you know, I have this, you know, idea for a book, but it's, I think it's going to be a trade book. <clears throat> I told him about it. And he goes, no, 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 you've got to write it as a textbook. And so I, I give him credit <clears throat> um, still in the acknowledgments because it probably would have died pretty quickly as a trade book, but it has legs as a, as a textbook. And um, I'm still in touch with him. He actually, you know, retired from Wiley and actually moved up here as his full-time residence. So um that's how it became a textbook <laughs> well, that's really interesting i interviewed an economist uh, at byu a, a month or two ago and 
his advice was latch on to good opportunities. And it sounds like, you know, from your perspective, that's exactly what happened. And it was an opportunity for you to learn something new. Yeah. And I guess, you know, being willing to um, even do something that isn't that popular or incentivized. So we wrote a textbook. I mean, I wrote a textbook and hence nobody writes textbooks at Penn State. It's just not a thing. Just not a thing. You know, you don't get kudos for it. <laughs> it's not a, it's not AMJ, <laughs> JAP. So, um, but, you know, I made the argument because I think it was, it came out right around the time either I, I got tenure, let's see. Yeah, it would be right around that time. Um, I made the argument that it was really unique in, in the field and that it was going to allow people to teach business ethics from a management perspective, which was, you know, just not something that the other books were doing. And I actually wrote it so that I could teach the course that I wanted to teach. Wow. And um, you know, I think it, it's having, you know, an, an impact because of that. Um, I don't know how much of, of an impact it had on the tenure decision, but, um, I think having enough, uh, a journal articles was more important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I will say, Linda, several students of mine each semester, this is the second time I'm teaching it, but uh, they, in their feedback, they say this is one of their favorite classes. And I think that has so much to do with the textbook, the structure. Nikki helped me with uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, who's here at KU. Nikki helped me with the structure of the class as well, which I, I believe she probably got some of that from you as well. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a real tribute to your approach of taking a practical approach where students are saying that a business ethics class is one of their favorite classes. And, you know, I'm not sure how much credit I'll get, if any, for doing this podcast. But for me, it's a chance to learn from people. So trying to kind of implement this lesson that uh, this kind of overarching theme of trying to learn new things. And uh, I've already I've taken a, a bunch of your time. Uh, I don't know if you have any concluding thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up. Um, no, I, it's been fun. It's been really fun. And I look forward to seeing you in person. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I look forward to sharing these lessons with my children and students. And now I'll have a little <laughs> more context around the textbook as well when I talk about it each semester. So thanks so much for coming on today. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. Linda Trevino is a world-renowned expert on business ethics, and the lessons she shared today provide insight into how she's been so successful. First, choose your pond carefully. Some people choose to be a big fish in a small pond, but for Linda, she just wanted to be one of the fish in a really great pond, surrounded by other great fish who could help her learn new things. Such a great perspective. Second, let your curiosity guide you. Rather than just focus on one topic for her entire career, Linda was open to diversions, which allowed her to learn new theories, new methods, and step outside of her comfort zone. Third, stay close to practitioners. So often, researchers write research papers for other researchers. But by staying close to practitioners, Linda learned that there was a real need for research on ethical leadership. She then met Katherine Nelson, and together they wrote a textbook on business ethics, which is now in its eighth edition.
As Linda stated at the beginning of the interview, all of these lessons revolve around a single theme, which Linda models so successfully, strive to learn continuously. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. Nate Mickle here with three quick requests. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. And finally, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Thanks for your support.